Well, that was a very thorough bio. Did you get that off of Wikipedia or what? Uh, <laughs> Uh, it's good to be with you this morning, always a privilege to uh, open God's Word uh, and to see what God has for us. And what a better excuse to come to this beautiful area. And, and I was going to say Cambria, and then he made the remark, is it Cambria or Cambria? And so now I don't know how to say it, and I'm feeling very self-conscious about it. <laughs> but uh, April... April Fool's Day was an interesting day for me uh, to get that kidney removed. I'll never be able to forget that. But God has been gracious through, uh, through all of that, and I, and I appreciate uh, all that God has done uh, for me during uh, what was a, a very uh, interesting uh, two years of, of treatment. But today is New Year's Sunday. <coughs> Excuse me. It's New Year's Sunday. So let me begin by saying Happy New Year to everybody. Thank you. And it's that time of year. You know, New Year's is always a time of resolutions. It's the time when the media likes to look back. And uh, if you've followed the news at all this week or been on the Internet, you've probably seen all the different lists of everything that took place in 2015. In fact, uh, the AP... Uh, listed the following as the top news stories of 2015. ISIS, Supreme Court gay marriage, the Paris attacks, mass shootings across the country, uh, the various black deaths and encounters with police, terrorism worries, the San Bernardino shooting, U.S. election, climate change, Charleston church shooting, Europe's migrant crisis. And isn't that just the greatest news to look back on as we look back and say, wow, wasn't 2015 a great year? And New Year's supposed to be a time when we look at, at new dreams and, and hope for new outcomes and we look forward to, to maybe that this year will be different. And we begin to make those resolutions and I don't know about you, but I, I've never been much of a resolution guy. Uh, you know, as Christians, we have a constant responsibility to continue to improve ourselves in regards to our walk with Christ. And so to make a resolution for a year has, has never been something that I've done. If it's Maybe it's something that you have done. Uh, I, I, I'm not saying it's bad or good. Uh, it's just not something I've, I've chosen to do myself. But maybe as you look back at the headlines and you look back at the last year and maybe that can be discouraging, but maybe for you it wasn't the headlines. Maybe for you it's been a rough year with, with regard to your personal life. Finances, illness, relationship problems, a number of things that can go wrong that catch us unawares. And as Christians, we can get caught up in that. Whether we're looking at the headlines or whether we're looking back at, at the things that have gone wrong in our lives, it's easy to become disgruntled, maybe bitter, maybe angry, discouraged. But is that where God wants us to be? I don't think so. 
Because I still believe that God's word is powerful. I still believe that we serve an all-powerful God. I believe that God's word is profitable. And so this morning, I want to focus and look at Philippians chapter 3. If you'll turn to Philippians chapter 3 this morning. Philippians is a short book, very short book, only four chapters. But it's probably the last book that Paul wrote before his own death. Paul is writing the book from prison. Paul has been through numerous beatings. He's been stoned and left for dead. He's been shipwrecked. He's been in in and out of, of prison. He hasn't had the easiest life since he became a Christian, since he chose to follow God. And yet Philippians which is full of all kinds of great doctrinal truths. And even the chapter we're in this morning is full of a lot of great doctrinal truths. And we're not going to have time this morning to really dissect everything that's in there. So your homework, I always give homework. Your homework this, this week, one of them is go back and study the passages that we're not going to delve into as deeply because there's several great sermons in this chapter. But what I want to focus on this morning is what Paul says about joy. What Paul says about rejoicing. My original intent was was to preach on the passage where Paul says uh, not not to look back, but to look forward. And I thought, oh, that's a great New Year's message, wouldn't it be? Forget everything that's back here. Don't look back there and look forward to 2016 and what God's going to do. And, and I began to study the chapter. And as I began to study the chapter and to look at it and to get the context, and I went back to the very beginning of the chapter and you get to verse 1. And Paul says, finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. Chapter 3, Philippians. Rejoice in the Lord. And it struck me, everything that's happening in the context of what I originally wanted to focus on is really the context of rejoicing. Rejoicing means boast or glory in. And so Paul is saying to the Philippians, finally, boast or glory in the Lord. And notice it's not glory in what's happened to you It's not glory in what you have accomplished. It's not glory in anything else that might be going on. We rejoice in the Lord. And Paul's not suggesting here that we stick our heads in the sand and ignore the fact that we've had health problems. You know, God didn't didn't tell me, Dave, I want you to rejoice in your cancer. I didn't rejoice in chemotherapy. But I could rejoice in the Lord as I was going through it. And that's the focus of our rejoicing. Regardless of what's going on, regardless of those wonderful stories that the AP says, is here's the top stories of 2015, regardless of all of that junk, our focus should be to rejoice. And the focus of our rejoicing is in Him, is in our God. And as we've come to communion this morning... 
What a wonderful opportunity to help us to turn into focus, which is why God gave us communion. It's to remind us because we're so forgetful. And so we have on a regular basis to take time to remember what he's done for us, to rejoice in the Lord. And so then as I began to study the passage, I was was asking myself, if Paul wants them to rejoice, what is it he wants them to rejoice in? And so over the next few minutes, I want to take some time and four things I believe in this chapter that Paul gives us as reasons to rejoice in the Lord. And so let's begin. Finally, my brothers, verse 1, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have a reason for confidence in the flesh, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish. And let's stop there. Paul begins by saying, rejoice in the Lord, but then he kind of takes an interesting turn and he says, to write the same things to you is no trouble to me. Paul knew that we were forgetful people and he, and he wanted to tell them, listen, I know I might be a broken record. And in fact, if you read the book of Philippians, here's another homework assignment. Four chapters, right? You can read it in, what, 10, 15 minutes? So sit down and read Philippians with a pen in hand, if you're a Bible marker like I am, and circle the word joy or rejoice throughout the book. And then the rest of the week, go back and look at each one of those sections and find out what Paul has to say about rejoicing, about where our joy is. It'll be a great study for you. And so Paul here, when he comes to chapter 3, because he's already mentioned the word joy and rejoice in this book about at least a dozen times. And now he says, it's no trouble. It's a good thing to repeat it, which means it must be very important, right? If he's going to repeat it, that's why we repeat things. Because we want people to know, we want people to understand, we want them to remember. But then he says, and this is weird, he goes from rejoicing to, look out for the dogs. What's that all about? Remember, for the Jewish people, especially for the men, 
It's like the lowest insult you can, I mean, there's nothing lower than a dog. In fact, you might remember, you may have heard before that the Jewish men in their piety used to pray, thank you, Lord, that I'm not a dog or a woman, and we won't go any further than that. The point being that dogs were, they were low life. They didn't have pets at home. They didn't have little Fifi that went with them everywhere they went and wasn't part of their family. Dogs kind of roamed everywhere. And they, they were scavengers. And so they ate whatever they could find, wherever they can find. And then they, and they would eat things that really aren't even food. And we won't even talk about that because you probably have seen what dogs eat. And oh. Okay, we won't go any further than that. But the point is, he's saying, look out for the dogs. And Paul here is talking about the Judaizers. Those people that were going around from town to town, just like the dogs would roam from town to town, and every time Paul would come in with the gospel, it wasn't long after that these guys would come in and they would start saying, oh, wait a minute, Paul, Paul's right about Jesus, but he doesn't have it all right. And they would begin to talk about all the rules and the law and all the things that they should do in addition to Jesus. And so Paul is warning, listen, these guys are joy robbers. Look out for the dogs. They will rob your joy. And then he says, look out for the evildoers. He's still talking about the Judaizers, and you'll notice there's a progression here. First he calls them dogs. Now he calls them evildoers. Why are they evil? They caused division. Everywhere they went, they were causing division. They were getting the churches upset, and Paul would have to go back. And many of the letters that we read from Paul is because he's trying to correct what these guys were trying to mess up as far as their doctrine and their teaching. These guys were evil. And then he ratchets it up one more notch, and he says, Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. Because the, the Judaizers, they preached Christ plus circumcision. You have to be circumcised or Christ is not enough. And so they wanted people to go through the physical act of circumcision. And Paul refers to it as mutilating the flesh to make his point. Circumcision is not something that you do. It's who you are. And that's why in verse 3 we have our first reason to rejoice. We are the circumcision. The first reason that we can rejoice is because our identity. We are the circumcision. Have you ever proclaimed that? Say it with me. We are the circumcision. Okay, now, don't go run out in public in a crowd of people and start yelling that. Don't put it on a T-shirt because people will just go, okay, you're, something's wrong. They won't understand. But for us as Christians, we need to understand that term. For us as Christians, we are the circumcision refers to the covenant. You remember God's covenant with Abraham where he says, I'm going to make a great nation, Abraham. I'm going to make from you all these people from every land, from every language, from every nation. The people of God, we are the circumcision. The circumcision was the sign of that covenant. 
And it's also very symbolic because the cutting of the way of the flesh is the, is the cutting away of sin that Christ did in our lives. And blood is shed and it's thrown away. And we are clothed in righteousness. So we are the circumcision. We need to remember. We need to rejoice. We are God's people. That's what he's saying. Our identity is our first reason to rejoice. And look what Paul says about the circumcision. He defines it. And this is not an exhaustive description. But it's certainly a description of those of us who are the people of God, who are the circumcision, who worship by the Spirit of God. Our worship this morning would be useless if Jesus Christ had not sent His Spirit and His Spirit dwells inside of us and we're able to worship God because of His Spirit. His Spirit inside of us makes our worship meaningful. It gives our worship direction. It gives us the power to worship. And so when we worship, we worship by the Spirit of God. He says the circumcision also glory in Christ Jesus. He's the one we boast in. He's the one that gets the credit. He's the one who is the ultimate focus of everything we do and why we do it. And finally, the circumcision, he says, put no confidence in the flesh. And this is a direct reference to those that want to mutilate the flesh. He says, don't put any confidence in the flesh. And now Paul begins to use the flesh in a figurative, metaphoric way. Don't put confidence in the things that you've done. You know, if you've ever applied for a job, you've had to put a resume together, right? And what do you do in a resume? You put down, if, if you want to get a job... You put down all these great things about yourself. A resume is like a, brag, a page of bragging, right? Here's who I am. Here's what I've done. Here's what I've accomplished. And here's how wonderful I am. Hire me. And Paul is saying here, don't put confidence in that stuff. Okay, I went to Biola College. I went to Talbot. I got a couple degrees. I've served and I've worked in various places. I've accomplished different things. Don't put confidence in that. Not in the flesh. And, and Paul then goes on and we have this passage that is very familiar to uh, those of us that have been in the church for a while. Where Paul gives his resume in verse 5. And Paul lays it all out. And it's a resume about prominence. It's a resume about prestige. It's a resume of achievements. And Paul says, take all of that, put no confidence in it. Because our identity and our confidence is in God. It's in the Lord. That's who we are rejoicing in. And he goes on to tell us in verses 7 and 8, count this all as loss. And notice how many times he talks about loss. Verse 7, I counted this as loss. I count everything as loss. I suffered the loss of all things. I count them as rubbish. The idea of loss here, Paul is using a, an analogy of accounting. And you take a profit, 
and you put everything over there. This is all the things that have profited me. Here's all my expenses, and hope it, hopefully the profit outweighs the expenses. But what do we tend to do with our lives? We put all of our accomplishments, all of our great things about ourselves, we put them over here, and Paul says, no, I moved all those things to the lost column. The only thing in the prophet column is my God, my Savior, the one that died for me, the one that bore my sin, the one who clothed me with righteousness. That's what goes in the prophet. And right in the middle of this, in verse 8, we have our second reason to rejoice, our treasure. Notice what he says, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. What a treasure. The surpassing worth. It's incomparable. It's priceless. There's nothing more valuable than knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. And notice that Paul makes it personal. It's not Christ Jesus, the Lord. It's Christ Jesus, my Lord. What a treasure we have as Christians. Wow. That's a reason to rejoice. Because no matter what your financial situation might be, no matter what might happen in the year to come, if we have another stock market crash and everything we've got invested goes to, down to zero and, and we're starting to go, oh no, now what am I going to do? We don't have to worry. We have a great treasure. Our treasure is greater than that. Count everything as loss. Well, let's move on. We come to verse 9, and we have our third reason to rejoice. We do all of this in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that righteousness which comes through faith in Christ Jesus, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. Our third reason to rejoice, I call our advantage. Our advantage. Do you know you have a great advantage as a Christian? Your advantage is this. We gain Christ. And we are found in him. What a tremendous advantage to get through this world. And one of the things I learned it with, with my cancer and meeting various people as you're sitting in, your, in the treatment rooms waiting for your, for your treatments and you meet a lot of people and, and some people have hope and some people, they don't have hope and, and they're not so sure about what's going to happen with their treatments. And, and it's tough and some people have a, a rougher time with the chemo than others. But we have an advantage because it doesn't matter what has happened last year whether it's your personal life or the craziness of this world it just doesn't matter because we gain Christ we have a hope that gets us through 
we have a hope that sustains us. And what a reason to rejoice. Because I have an advantage that those who don't know Christ don't have. I know my wife and I often talk about when tragedies happen. How do people get through it that don't know Christ? I don't know. I can't imagine. Because it can be hopeless. Who knows what's next? My grandmother was raised in a Seventh-day Adventist background. So they believed in they believed in the cross. They preached the cross, but they also believed that you could lose your salvation, that it, it wasn't quite enough because you had to have the works to go along with it to maintain it. And she had some, some major failures, if you will, in her life that she felt disqualified her. So as she approached the end of her life with diabetes and a lot of things that happened with that, and the gangrene that began to set in, she was terrified. And it didn't matter how much my parents and the family would try to talk to her and say, Mom, your hope is in Jesus. It was, but I didn't do these other things, and I made these other mistakes. Her hope wasn't in Christ. And and she didn't have hope to get through. We have an advantage. We gain Christ and are found in him. And Paul tells us what that looks like. Verse 10. That I may know him. Wow. You know that sets Christianity apart from every other religion. We know God. Buddhists don't know Buddha. They know about his teachings. Other religions, they have their great leaders and they know the teachings of those leaders, but they don't know the leaders. Even in Islam, that claims to worship a god, it's a god that they can't know. And they have to be careful how they speak his name, or even if they should speak his name, Because they don't know him. They know about him, but they don't know him. As Christians, we gain Christ, and we not only get to know about God, we get to know God. He's part of our lives. And the whole Christian life is one of continuing to grow and to learn and to know him more and more and more. Well, let's continue. He says, also know the power of his resurrection. The power of his resurrection is the Holy Spirit who raised him from the dead. And he gave us his Holy Spirit who dwells within us. We gained Christ. And when we gained Christ, we gained the indwelling Holy Spirit to empower us to live. We share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. We get to identify with Christ. And, and while we may not have the same kind of, of sufferings and persecutions here, at least not yet, that many are going through, 
sometimes when you take a stand and say, no, I'm going to do what God wants me to do, it, it puts you kind of out there and puts a target on you. But you're sharing in his sufferings. And finally, a, that I may attain the resurrection from the dead. That's something else we gain. The assurance of the resurrection. And so you can stare whatever it is in the face that's threatening your life, whether it, whether it be a trouble, whether it be a disease, whatever it is, and you can say, it doesn't matter. And that's why Paul could say, for me to live is Christ, to die is gain, because I attain the resurrection. Reasons to rejoice. Amen? Well, we need to move along quickly here because I want to get to the fourth one. And we have this next section in verse 12. Not that I have already obtained this or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way, and if anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. That's a whole nother sermon. And since we have a meal to eat, I won't preach that sermon today. Uh, we could just spend a, a, an entire afternoon in, in that passage. It is so awesome. But again, I want to focus on reasons to rejoice. And certainly those are reasons. And, and, there's, and there's good teaching there about what we are to do. And we are to forget. And when he says forget, he doesn't mean put it out of your mind, put your head in the sand. He doesn't, he doesn't mean you never remember it again. What he means is don't dwell on it. When the Bible says that God forgets, God's all-knowing, he never forgets anything. It means that he doesn't dwell on it, he doesn't hold it against, he doesn't choose to go there. Instead, we go over here, we press toward the prize of the high calling that we have. And that is to rejoice. And in verse 17, he says, join in imitating me, as Paul often did. Telling people, hey, you can follow my example. And certainly at this point in Paul's life, he had an example to follow with everything that had happened to him. And sitting in prison, awaiting his death. And he says, imitate me, rejoice in the Lord. For many of whom I have told you in verse 8, and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. And then we come to verse 20, which is number four. Our reason to rejoice, our citizenship, our inheritance. Our citizenship is in heaven. What a reason to rejoice. We're all immigrants on this earth, waiting to go home. We're going to be there one day, and we have an incredible inheritance. And Paul says, from it, from our citizenship in heaven, we await a Savior. 
Jesus is coming back. And I know I've been hearing it since I was raised in the church, so I'm behind the pulpit, so since I was about this big, <laughs> I've been hearing, Jesus is going to come back. And in my youth group, I remember, you're the generation. Jesus is coming back. You're the generation that it's going to happen in. And now I'm getting older, and uh, it's looking like, well, it still could be. Because we wait expectantly, but we wait patiently. And I don't know when he's coming back, but I do know whether he's coming back in my lifetime or my kids or my grandkids or somewhere beyond. I know where my citizenship is. I know what my inheritance is. We await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Jesus not only gives us this new spiritual life, but we have to look forward to, in our inheritance, a brand new body. And for me, that means no more problems with cancer. And I don't know if we're going to have kidneys or not, but I'll get two again if we do. And, and I don't know what that means exactly, except that it means that all of the problems and the frailties that we have with this body, they're gone. And we're still going to have a physical body. Isn't that amazing? We're going to have some kind of physical body but it's not going to have all these problems. And we're going to get to like pig out at the banqueting table, right? And not gain too much weight. <laughs> and not have to worry about, oh, am I going to get diabetes if I eat too much of this? Jesus has made us brand new and we're going to get these brand new physical bodies. Certainly a reason to rejoice our inheritance Brothers and sisters, when Paul gets into the final chapter in, in about three, four verses down, he says in verse four, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say, rejoice. And it is my prayer for myself and it is my prayer for you and for us as a church worldwide that we would be known as those who rejoice. Not those who whine and complain. One thing that has disturbed me about Facebook, and, and not just my friends, but myself included, as I look back at over my own posts, is that things happen, and you look at that list of stuff that we read at the beginning from the AP, and what do we do? We post stuff that says, oh, this is bad because of this, and yeah, the world's going to hell in a handbasket, and God's going to get them, and you know, we just go on and on and on. We should be known as rejoicers, not complainers. It's what set the church apart early on. They rejoiced in the Lord regardless of what was going on. Does that mean they didn't struggle with the hard times? Absolutely not. But it meant that through it, they rejoiced in the Lord. 
And so what are four reasons to rejoice that I leave you with this morning? Our identity, we are the circumcision. Our treasure, we have the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus. Our advantage, we have gained Christ and are found in him. And our treasure, we have an inheritance. Our citizenship is in heaven. Let's rejoice in the Lord. And if you get into those situations and you're having trouble with it, go back to the reasons to rejoice because we rejoice in the Lord, not in anything else. Everything else we count as lost and we look forward to what lies ahead. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your servant, the Apostle Paul, for so much that he taught us. But in this little book where he tells us to rejoice, Lord, would you help us to be known as a people who rejoice? Would people see you in us because they see that we are those people full of joy, not in a phony way of, of, of not paying attention to the horrible things that might be going on in our lives, but that we are rejoicing because of what we have in you. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.